you were not doing so well, you wouldn't be here. Uh, so welcome to each and every one of you. Welcome also those watching online. Thank you for watching and for worshiping with us. Thank God for that. Um, I'm very excited about the things that are happening um, in the church right now. I'm very excited about the next week. Uh, keep that in your prayer, the $20 challenge. Uh, we have a full Sabbath. I know Mark, Mark uh, announced it already. But I just want to put a nice plug in there for next Sabbath. Uh, don't miss it. We're going to have a full Sabbath. We're going to have, have an afternoon seminar at the, at the um, convention at 2.30. Um, and then some of us who are part of the actual project, we some home visitations to them. But then we're going to have a Vespers um, as well. And uh, Pastor Chad, Chad Bernard will be with us the whole Sabbath. So it's going to be a huge blessing. How many of you brought your Bible today? Ah, can you lift them up? Is he about 50%? Okay, okay, all right, all right. Move better, move better, all right. Praise God, praise God. We will be using them today. Uh, praise be to God. So I'm going to pray and get started uh, with our message, I am the Lord your God. So let's pray together, church family. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again, Lord, for your word. I want to thank you for the Sabbath. I want to thank you for church, Lord. And as we, as we endeavor to study your word, that you invite us to study your word, Lord, I pray that your spirit may help me. You and I know I'm not able to do this, Lord, but you are able, and our eyes are upon you, Lord. So please, Lord, send the word from heaven, and together with that word, send the power, Lord, so we can uh, be hearers and also doers and also teachers of the word, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, I want to start today um, the message by talking about something um, that you might find a little bit odd, but it's not that odd. I want to talk to you about laws. I want to talk to you a little bit about laws today. Did you know that there are a lot of laws in the world, uh, many, 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 many laws? Did you know that some of those laws, perhaps you did, are very peculiar, are very unusual? You may even call them strange and weird laws. Let me give you a few examples. Did you know that chewing gum is illegal in Singapore? Did you know that? Well, that is to keep the streets of Singapore clean. I've never been there, but I hear that Singapore has the cleanest streets in the world. So I guess it makes sense. Did you know that in France, it is illegal for you to name a pig, if you have one, Napoleon. Did you know that? You probably know why. Like in the 18th century or, or, or early 19th century, um, Napoleon, you know, he, he influenced, so this law could pass, so they can respect their leaders, right? So you cannot disrespect by naming your pig Napoleon in France. Did you know that in Germany, it is illegal for you to run out of gas in the German autobahn? They want you to learn your lesson to prepare. Um, and you, you probably will receive a fine of upwards of $500 or euros um, so that you do not forget next time and that you plan better. Did you also know that in Italy, in the city of Venice, it is illegal for you to feed the pigeons in St. Mark's Plaza? They say that the pigeons and you know their, their waste and whatnot is bad for the statues and for the historical buildings. So they don't want any birds there. They don't want you encouraging any birds to come to that plaza. And they'll give you a little fine of $700 just to remind you. 
to not feed the birds. But the U.S. is not exempt either from these unusual laws. Did you know that in Alaska, it is illegal for you to have an animal in the back of your car if you have a topless car? If you have a top one. If you have a convertible, you cannot have an animal in the back of your car. Did you know that in Boulder, Colorado, it is illegal for you to have a couch in your porch? I guess many of the college students start bonfires um, and they burn the couches, and that's where that law stems, um, stems from, so they want to avoid that. So no couches on your porches in, in, um, in Colorado. In Georgia, it is illegal for you to live on a sailboat you know, on the coast for more than 30 days. It's illegal. So if you're planning on being a cruiser, you know, one of those sailboat cruiser people, don't go to Georgia. Now those are local or, you know, or state laws, but what about federal laws? Those are more serious, right? Each and every one of them. Well, not quite. There are some pretty strange federal laws as well here in the U.S. Did you know <clears throat> that it is illegal for you to wash a fish in a faucet that is not a designated fish faucet? I read that from a reasonable source online. Did you know that it is illegal for you to make an unreasonable noise in the Pentagon? Well, I, I kind of get that one. I kind of get that one. Now, a question for you. How many federal laws are there anyway in the U.S.? Anybody want to take a stab at it? How many? <laughs> well, the answer is that nobody really knows. From the sources that I researched online, experts guess that there are between 15 to 50,000 federal laws on the books, but no one really knows because no one has actually taken the time to count them all. And nobody has paid anybody to do that either. So nobody really knows. And it's actually a little bit complicated because we have two archives in which all of the laws are found. One is, uh, one is called the Statutes at Large, and it is a compendium of all the laws that have been passed by Congress. But it does not include the new laws, the laws that modify old laws, and the laws that replace old laws. And then there's another one, another archive called um, the United States Code, which I have a picture here of. They have categorized all the laws passed by Congress into 51 categories. But they also are outdated, and there are, there are certain types of laws that, they, that are not registered in, this, in, in these volumes. So it's really kind of complicated to know how many laws there are in the United States. One more question for you. How many laws does God need to rule the universe? How many? Okay, well, it's kind of tricky. I heard 10 and I heard 1. The, act, the answer, when you think about it, is actually 1. And that law or rule is what? What is it? Love. You guys are right on. Love. That's right. Love. It's that plain and simple. But God, you know, just having love, God understands us that we're simple-minded and we're sometimes thick-headed, or at least I am. And just having love as a great rule in the universe, a great law, just isn't specific enough. So God has, he, he's so kind that he actually wrote it down for us. And then he flushed it out a little bit. 
He wrote what love looks like into 10 simple precepts or rules. We call those 10 rules the 10 commandments. Very good. And Joyce did a very wonderful job reading those 10 commandments. Now, each one of these rules, these 10 rules of love, is relational. The first four dealing with our vertical relationship between us and God. And commandments 5 through 10 dealing with our relationship with each other. With each other. When Jesus was asked about which commandment was the greatest, he gave this response. Join me in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, as we dive into the message, I, the Lord, your God. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, 34 to 40 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So look what Jesus does here. He brilliantly summarizes these ten wonderful rules of love into two even simpler rules of love. Love God and love man. In Romans 13.10, it tells us that love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen? 1 John 4.8, what does that tell us about God? It says that God is love. So this law code, if you want to call it that, the Ten Commandments, are the very principles upon which God bases his government. For these principles of love describe who God is. If God had a Facebook page, does God have a Facebook page? Well, in, my, in this preacher's imagination, he does at this point. If God had a Facebook page, his cover picture would just say, love. And if you go and if you click on his profile, you would have the Ten Commandments written word for word. Well, at least in my mind, you would. That's who God is. It describes his character, friends. It describes his character. We don't know what God looks like, for we have no picture of God. And no camera ever devised by humans could capture that majestic, awesome greatness of God. But we know how he is. We know what he is like. We know what he loves and what he hates. And it's all throughout his word. And more specifically, the Ten Commandments. That's why the Ten Commandments, that moral law, the Decalogue, Deca for 10, is the heart of the Old Testament. If you read, in fact, if you read through the Old Testament civil laws, you find out that these are just practical applications or outgrowth. They're practical outgrowth of the Ten Commandments. I want to share with you an Ellen White quote. And it's going to be on the screen here about 
um, what God did right after he spoke and he wrote the Ten Commandments. You may not be able, well, you'll probably be able to read that. It says, from Story of Redemption, page 148, it says, He then came still closer to his people who were so readily led astray and would not leave them with merely the ten precepts of the Decalogue. He commanded Moses to do what? To write. Now notice, who wrote the the Decalogue? God did. All right? But who wrote these other laws? Moses did. Okay? He commanded Moses to write as he, that, 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 that is God, should bid him. Judgments and laws, giving minute directions in regard to what he required them to perform. And thereby guarded what? The ten precepts which he had engraved, where? Where, church family? Upon the tables of stone. These specific directions and requirements were given to draw erring man to the obedience of the moral law, which he is so prone to transgress, close quote. So these more specific commands are commonly called in the Bible, statutes and judgments of God. Now, that is the introduction. Okay, that is the introduction. Now, I want you to join me. We're going to spend um, the majority of the rest of our time together in the book of Exodus. Join me in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Exodus, chapter 19. Are you with me, church family? Amen? Can you give me another amen? Are you with me? Amen. All right, all right, all right. We don't want nobody dozing off or sleeping. Uh, We know we're socially distancing, but maybe you can poke with a Bible or something with a hymnal if somebody's dozing off. Not to make them feel uncomfortable, but just to, uh, just to have them not miss out on the sermon. Amen? Amen. All right. Are we there, church family? Exodus, chapter 19. Now, as you know, in the book of Exodus, God powerfully delivers his people out of what? Slavery. slavery sorry. Where? In Egypt, right? God leads them in the desert through Moses. And along the way, the people actually show clearly um, their defects and imperfections. They become painfully obvious. But God loves them still and does not disown them. And I can say amen to that. We find in Exodus 19 that three months, how many months? Three months have passed since they have left Egypt. And they reach there the mighty Mount Sinai. And they set up camp there on Mount, well, you know, on the foot of Mount Sinai. So let's read what happens next. They reach Mount Sinai. They set up camp there. And let's read what happens. Let's go to Exodus 19, verse 3. We're going to read a series of texts here in, the, in chapter 19. So verse number 3 says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses goes and he delivers the message to the people. And the people say, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. They hastily agree 
to what God's going to say. Yeah, yeah, we agree. You just tell them we agree, okay? It's okay. We'll, whatever the Lord says, we will do. You go, Moses. So let's read verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then God manifests his power and his awesomeness in a way that we don't, we don't see happening too much in the Bible. Okay, this is important. God is manifesting his presence and his power in a mighty way. Let's jump here to verse 18. The Bible says, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended, I'm sorry, its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. On the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, God has a way of calling our attention, of getting our attention. What didn't you say? Did he have their attention? He most certainly did. And God was about to communicate something very, very important. But my question to you is this, friends, in our message, I, the Lord your God, how does God communicate this very important message? How does he do it? Well, let's jump to chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Literally, it says, I the Lord your God. Um, there, that's, that's the title. Uh, but we can read it as, it as it reads here, I am the Lord your God. Notice, God says, I the Lord your God. That's how the Ten Commandments start. It is in that context. It is in the manifestation of God's amazing power that the Ten Commandments are given. The Ten Commandments do not start at verse 3 with a thou shalt not. It starts in verse 1 with a I am the Lord your God. And that's amazing. God knew the hearts of this, these people. These people were weak. These people lacked faith. These people were worldly-minded. These people make you and me look good. And God tells them, I am the Lord, your God. That's encouraging. That's good news right there. I am the Lord, your God. In spite of the shameful things they did and the shameful things God knew they would do, he still calls them his people. He is their God. He does not disown them. Rather, he will provide a solution, and that solution is found in him. Amen? In essence, friends, I want you to get this picture. God, even though he 
sees the ugly traits of his people, God, in essence, gets on one knee and he says to raggedy, foul-mouthed, unbelieving Israel, he says, will you marry me? I want you to be my special treasure. I'm calling you to know me better than anybody else and to be missionaries for me. I'm calling you to represent me. Will you marry me? Will you accept this covenant of love? That's a God I can serve. That is a mighty God, a mighty, merciful God. Great is his mercy. It lasts forever. So he says, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In the original language, that house of bondage, um, originally, instead of bondage, it actually literally means slaves. I have brought you out of the house of slaves. Friends, Egypt was a bad, bad place, especially for the Hebrews. It was a hopeless, a dark place for them. Their future there was just to toil away, toil away, shrivel up and die. There was no hope in Egypt, no hope at all. But you know what? There is something odd about Egypt. As bad as it was, there was something strangely appealing about Egypt for the Hebrews. Something drew them constantly back to Egypt. What was it? Have you guys noticed that? Sorry. Have you guys noticed that? Why were they always kind of gravitating towards Egypt? I don't get it. If we read Numbers chapter 11, you don't have to go there, but if you, if you want to, you could. Numbers 11, it describes one of the many complaining fits. You know, like a kid has a fit. One of the complaining fits that the people of Israel have. And then they, uh, many among them, they began to crave their old Egyptian diet. In Numbers 11.5, it says, We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. It appeared, friends, to human eyes and to carnal hearts that Egypt, the house of bondage, provided a more nutritious and balanced diet than God himself. Can you imagine? Now, this was, of course, an illusion, a deception of Satan. For the Bible says that what God provided was indeed bread from heaven. God gave them the best food available in the universe. Amen? Another event that illustrates the, the, this weird attractiveness of Egypt is found in Exodus 32. There we have the shameful story of how quickly the Hebrews gravitated to the Egyptian style of worship. A worship of things made by human hands. No faith needed. There was feasting, dancing, drunkenness, and often widespread sexual immorality that took place in these corporate worship services back in Egypt. All the sensory, um, you know, there was, there was sensory overload and licentiousness. And all this was very, very attractive to the carnally minded and the worldly minded, friends. But God says, I, he says to Israel, he says to us, I have brought you 
out of that place. I have brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage or, or, or the house of slaves. You see, in Egypt, we find a perfect example of sin, friends. And what is sin? Anyway, anyways, what is sin? We're speaking about the law of God, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. What is sin? Anyway, 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is a what, everybody? I couldn't hear you. Try again. Transgression of the law or lawlessness. Very good. Sin is the breaking of this law of love. But you know what's the reality of sin? Even though sin at its core, it's rotten, it stinks, on the surface, however, sin shines and glitters, sparkles, and says that it cares about your happiness and mine, that it cares about your feelings, that it cares about your future. That's what sin says. Sin allures, it attracts. Sin gives temporary sensations of pleasure. But once we indulge in it, it all fades away real quick, friends. You see, Satan does like this. He pulls this trick on us. You guys see this? You guys see this? This is how Satan acts. Here, little Christian, you see this? So sweet, so nice. This can't harm you. Come on. I know he says don't do it, but come on. It's just a little bite. Come on. He entices us with the apparent sweetness of sin. And then we, you know, many times are not the wisest. And instead of listening to God's word, like Eve, we focus on Satan's words and his allurements. And we tell God, God, we, we, we basically rip our hands away from God. And we tell God, God, I'll be right back. I'm going to go taste this sin real quick. But I'll be, right, I'll, I'll be right back, God. And then we come, and Satan's here so with a smile. Come on, it's going to be awesome. And we come, and went, boom, and then he pounces on us. That's exactly what he does. Sin entices us to watch the sinful show. And then after watching it, he pounces on us with guilt and shame. He allures us to, uh, to click on that sinful website. And then he laughs at us. <laughs> and you call yourself a Christian? And he laughs at God as well. He encourages us to indulge in gossip about a brother or a sister in church. And then he rejoices <laughs> in a divided church. Friends, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. But sin, it does attract. It feels good for the moment. But I want to tell you today, sin is not your friend. Can I get an Amen. Jesus was right when he said in John chapter 8, verse 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whosoever commits sin is a slave to sin. It's a slave to sin. And Satan, like Egypt of old, is a terribly cruel slave master. He hates God, and he hates you as well. And he is hell-bent on causing as much pain to God's heart by causing you to be in bondage, by causing you to be in misery, by listening to his lies. And me as well, Father, and me as well. 
friends. Now, this is the picture of sin. This is the picture of Egypt. But what does God say, friends? We want to focus on God. God says, I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. It is interesting to know that he speaks in the past tense. God has done it. Has he done it? Amen. He's done it. He has done it back then, and he has done it in us through what Christ has accomplished. He's done it. But we must believe him and cooperate with him as he guides us through this journey called salvation. You see, many times we get it all wrong. Many times we think the Ten Commandments are all about us and what we need to do. But in reality, friends, when we really think about it, the Ten Commandments are about God and what he has done and what he wants to do in us and through us. It's about his promises to us. I mean, just think about it. Egypt, in the time of Exodus, was a great superpower in the region. They had the strongest military. They had the best technology. They had the resources. You name it. Whatever an ancient nation could dream of, Egypt had it. But they didn't have God. They didn't have God, friends. And that was bad news for Egypt. And then we have the Hebrew slaves. Those oppressed Raggedy people, no army, no resources, but, big but, but they have who? They have God, and that changes the picture. And it does not matter what we are facing in our lives, friends. Maybe you're a young adult and you're in a university, and everybody and their mother believes in evolution, and you are the only one who believes that God created this world in six days and rested on the seventh. I want to tell you, even though you may seem to be alone, you're not. Because God is on your side. Because you are aligning yourself with his words. Amen? You may seem to be oppressed in your job and people may, may be giving you a hard time um, about the Sabbath or about you not drinking or you not pottery, uh, partying or whatever it may be. Don't worry. If God is on your side, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. I guarantee you, you're going to be all right, friends. They had God, these Jews. And, and notice, they, did they deserve God? Did they deserve for him to deliver them in such a powerful way? They did not. But God did that for them. And God, through an old, think about this, stuttering man called Moses, who thought he was going to make a fool out of himself, but he obeyed in faith. God, through Moses, shows up for his people. Through his delegated messenger, Moses, God goes mano a mano, face to face, with Satan and his delegated messenger, which was Pharaoh. Friends, God would have loved for Pharaoh to repent. But sadly, it wasn't to be. He would have loved that. So what God does is that he rolls up his sleeves and he says, Now, I am going to use this opportunity to illustrate my power to deliver. I'm going to show the Egyptians, I'm going to show the Israelites, and I'm going to show those people in Battle Creek my power to deliver from 
bondage. And I say, praise the Lord. We serve a God who can deliver. We serve a God. It does not matter what obstacle we face. It does not matter what sinful traits we have. God is able to deliver us from sin and from any type of trial. I remember when I was in the islands, um, the first evangelistic meeting I was a part of, I had just been assigned pastor, and um, we had a visiting pastor who was doing the meetings. And I remember this young man came in. His name was Juanes, and he came in with his girlfriend. And he came in night after night after night, and you could just see the change in that, in that young man's heart and in her in, in, in her face and in just, just her presence as well. You can see God at work. But it came time for the testing truths of God's word. And he was working in a hotel. And he, of course, he was working on Sabbath. He was working in the warehouse. And they work, you know, weekends and, and whatever. And in the islands, it's hard to find a job. You know what I mean? Um, it's, if you think it's hard in Battle Creek, it's probably about three times as hard to find a job on the island of Saipan where we were. Anyway, so... The call is made for him to follow God, to stand on God's word, to keep the Ten Commandments, particularly the Fourth Commandment. They won't give him Sabbath. So you know what this man does? In faith, he goes, Lord, you promised to take care of me. So he goes to the manager, and he says, and he gives him a letter. The manager asks him, what is this? He says, it's a letter of resignation. Resignation? What's going on? What's the problem? Well, um, I can't work on Saturdays anymore or on Friday nights. So, you know, I guess this job isn't for me. What? He says, the manager saw in him such a good worker that you know what happened to Juanes? The brother got promoted from the warehouse to the office. And they only work Monday through Fridays at the office. And you know what? That brother was sponsored to be um, a Bible worker in Mission College of Evangelism. And then after that, and he worked for me as a Bible worker. And then after that, he went to the Philippines. He was sponsored to go to the Philippines to study to be a pastor. And he's a pastor right now. You know why? Because God is able to do what? To deliver. It does not matter what trial you're facing. It does not matter what weakness you're facing. It does not matter what habits you have been facing for years. God is able to deliver. And the story of Egypt is an example of that. It's an example of that for us to believe in. So God there, he rolls up his sleeves and he strikes a death blow to all the main gods in Egypt. The gods associated with the river Nile, boom, gone. The gods associated with the frogs, gone. The, the god associated with uh, the sun god there in Egypt, Amun-Ra, that god is shown to be nothing in the face of the God of Israel. And I say praise be to God. I love how Psalms 98 verse 1 says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. Praise be to God. Yes, friends, the whole Exodus experience was about the power and faithfulness of God. And it is to this power and to this faithfulness that God brings the people's attention to. If you're going to conquer in the name of Jesus, then your eyes got to be on Jesus. Not on your own faults, not on the faults of others. Our eyes need to be on Jesus. And a little plug here real quick. The Bible needs to be our textbook. Amen? Amen? But God is so good. God is so good. Listen to me, church family, that he gives us extra help. 
And in the Bible, it said that he, that he would give his last day church a gift, a special gift, the gift of prophecy. And these two books, written by Ellen, Ellen G. White, The Desire of Ages and Steps to Christ. If, if, if you sometimes feel yourself drifting from Christ, I want to recommend to you these two little books. And if, and if you need them and you don't got no money to buy them, I can give you these. Just come and see me afterwards. But these books have kept my heart tender after years of serving Christ. And how many, of us, how many of us here have read these books? Okay, hands down. How many of us here have read these books more than once through? Okay, you guys see that? So if you have not read these books, these are gifts from God to help us to stay connected, to stay, keep our hearts soft and tender, malleable like clay is to be so the master can do his marvelous work in us, friends. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, I want to take you, um, I want to just mention to you here real quick, we're going to be wrapping up here soon, that the law from this perspective, a Christ-centered perspective, is good news. There is remedy for transgression of the law, which only leads to sin and death. And that remedy has a human name. You guys know his name? His name is Jesus, and he has a human body, and he wrought a human victory for us, and it's all for us if we can just believe it, friends. The Bible tells us that that same God who descended upon Mount Sinai, and the mountain was shaking and on fire, that same God also descended on a little town called Bethlehem. And he descended this time as a little baby. But don't be deceived by appearances, it was that same God who delivered Egypt was that little baby. And in fact, Matthew 1.21, Matthew 1.21, <clears throat> join me there in your Bibles, please. Matthew 1.21, it's an important verse. The angel speaking to Joseph says here, Matthew 1.21, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name what? Why? Why Jesus? Why that name? Because he shall save his people from their sins. A firefighter fights fire. And they do also a lot of medical stuff nowadays. A plumber deals with plumbing. An electrician makes electricity work in your house or in your building. A savior saves. Amen? A Savior saves, and he saves from sin, and he does a good job, and there's only one, and his name is Jesus. That is his name because that is his job. Don't be discouraged at your sin. Don't be discouraged at your weakness, young person. Don't be discouraged. You serve, you believe in a Savior. Amen? That's good news. And God tells us, that we can do it because he can do it. Amen? So, let's read the Ten Commandments one more time. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20. But I want you to see it from this perspective, friends. From this perspective. So, God is there in the mountain. The mountain's on fire. There's smoke billowing. There's an earthquake. <clears throat> and God says, it says, And God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall not have no other gods. Friends, that is a promise. Yes, it is a commandment, but it is not merely a commandment. It is not merely that we need to do this in our own strength. It is based on his strength, based on his track record. Amen? He says, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make unto yourself any graven image. You shall not take my name in vain. You will remember the Sabbath day and you will keep it holy. You will honor your father and your mother. You will not kill. And all the other commandments, you will keep yourself sexually pure for my name's honor and glory. You will not steal. You will not lie. You will be happy with what I provide for you. And you will not desire anybody else's stuff. Friends, that's good news. That's good news. I have one more quote to share with you. It's a powerful quote. It's one that I need to put to, mem to memory. Christ's Object Lessons, page 333, says, As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes what? <clears throat> Omnipotent. What does that big word mean? All-powerful. Whatever is to be done at his command, we're talking today about the Ten Commandments, may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are what? Enablings. In other words, every, anything he asks you to do, he's going to help you do. Are we together? Oh, what a God we serve. What a God we serve. I want to tell you a story as I close today. I had more things to share. Um, well, I, I want to share with you one verse before we go to the story. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33 says, Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Why did they break it? Because they were relying upon their own strength, their own wisdom. So they were destined to break it. But it says here, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Can we say amen to, to that? God is good. I'm reminded of a story of this um, young woman. She was a beautiful young woman, um, a smart young woman, and she was filled with dreams and aspirations. One of those dreams was, guess what? She wanted to find, find somebody and get married, and you know the story, and live happily ever after. So she found a charming young man. He seemed like a really good guy, a really good guy. Um, and they fell in love, and then they eventually got married. They had a wonderful wedding. And then they had a good uh, first day of the honeymoon. 
Now, after they woke up from that first day, um, she woke up early, and she realized that her husband um, had moved, you know, from the bed or whatever. So she rolled around, and she was going to give him a hug, but he's, he's sitting there on the side of the bed, and he's in, intensely writing something. And then she goes, hey, love, what you doing? In a very tender, sweet voice, you know, he says, I'm, I'm writing your list. She goes like, my list? And then he quickly finishes the list. And then he looks at her and he says, we'll call her Susan. Susan, now that we're married, I got to tell you how this works. <clears throat> I need you. I want you to wake up at 6 in the morning every day, and I want you at that time, look at the schedule here, to make, start preparing breakfast for me. At 6.45, we're going to start eating breakfast. We're going to eat breakfast until 7, 7.30. You see that here? 7.30. We're going to eat breakfast until that time. From 7.30 to 8, I want you to clean the kitchen, Susan. And then from 8 to 9, I want you to clean the rest of the house. At 9.30, Susan, I'm going to give you a little break. But at 10, go back to work, Susan. Find something to do. At 12, Susan, I want lunch ready on the, on the, on the, on the, on the dot at 12. At 1, we'll be finished with lunch, Susan. And the whole day, boom, on a paper, scheduled, boom, 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 boom. Woo! Susan didn't know what she was in for. Her whole life sank inside of her. This was her introduction to the, to the marriage. And she says, what to herself, what have I gotten myself into? So she cleansed her teeth. She, took, she swallowed big. And she said, I will do it. I will do it. I've committed. I will do it. I will try to please my husband. So she did. And she tried her best. Bless her heart. She tried her best. To, to fulfill the schedule and the list. Some years passed, long years. The husband suddenly gets really, really sick, and he dies. Now, I don't know if she was celebrating or in mourning. I don't have that detail of the story. I can't speak for her. But the guy dies. And I don't know how, I don't know how long it took for her to recover from his death, but she eventually recovered, and then she started feeling lonely again. And guess what happened? She met another man. He wasn't, this, he wasn't as young as before as the other one, but he was kind of young too. She met him. He met her. They clicked instantly. She was a little bit hurt by the, the difficult long years that, um, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't that long. It was just a couple of years that she was married but she, you know, she, had, she was a little bit apprehensive, let's put it that way. But in spite of that apprehension, she fell in love with this guy head over heels. And he was so kind. He was so nice. He really cared about her, it seemed. So she marries him. They get married. <clears throat> it wasn't a perfect marriage, but it was a whole lot better. And there was a lot of love. He, he was indeed kind. He was indeed supportive. And it was just a wonderful marriage. It was a wonderful marriage. 
Some time passed, and she was cleaning the room, their room. And then she was organizing some of their clothes in the dresser drawers. And then in one of the drawers, she finds a paper <clears throat> that's folded. It's folded. She's like, huh, I wonder what that is. She's curious. She unfolds it. Her heart sinks a little bit. It's one of those dreaded lists. One of those dreaded schedules that her first husband that passed away had made. Memories start filling her mind of how she felt during that marriage. She looks at it, and then she looks at it more carefully, and she comes to an amazing realization, friends. Don't miss this. Everything on that list, and even more, she was doing for the second husband. Everything. She was cooking. She was cleaning. She kept the clothes, you know, Everything, she was on top of everything, and she even went overboard. And she was like, wow, my, oh, my, what love can do. Friends, I don't know how our religious experience is with the Lord. I don't know what your relationship with the Ten Commandments, with the law, with your duty before God is. But I want to tell you, whatever duty has Whatever duty God has enjoined upon us, it is indeed good news. It is good news. All we got to do is just stay aligned, stay focused, keep our hearts, our minds filled with the word of God, and he will provide the diesel fuel. He will provide the, 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 the faithfulness, the power. Friends, and we'll stumble and we'll fall from time to time. That's okay. He didn't leave Israel. He won't leave you. But friends... Love makes it work. Galatians says, the faith that works by love, that's the faith. That's the one. How many of us today want to say, Lord, I want that experience. I want to serve you not only as a, as a, as a means of duty, but as a result of love. I want that, Lord, in my life. Give me that experience. So how many of you want to say, by raising your hand, yes, Lord, give me that experience or renew that experience in me? Praise be to God, friends. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And if there's anybody here who has not yet given their hearts to Jesus, I want to give you a special opportunity. If there's, it, this second call is not for everybody. Is there anybody here who has not yet made a commitment to Christ Jesus? God is calling at your heart. He's knocking. And he's wanting you to open your heart as well. Is there anybody here today? Can you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. There's anybody who has not committed their lives to Christ. Go ahead and raise your hand. I just want to acknowledge you so we can pray for you. Okay, very good. Let's pray together, friends. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the good news of your good law. Father, we trust in that promise that you will write it in our hearts and not our old stony hearts, but brand new fleshly hearts. Oh, Father, do your work in us. Do your thing in us, Father. You are a mighty Father, and Jesus is a mighty Savior, and you as well, Father. We give ourselves to you today. Give us this new covenant experience. We ask it, and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless. God delivered the great controversy I had in my car to my neighbor, who for the first time did not have her Rottweiler outside that yesterday. 
She saw the title, A Storm is Coming. She said, I want to be ready. Now please stand with me as we sing, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners, number 187. Please stand. Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, girls assail me, he's my Savior, makes me whole. to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you and happy Sabbath, church family.